Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It seems, at least from some people's point of view, that we've seen everything in the Trump White House, but I'm not so sure of that. One of the things that's been missing from a Trump presidency is, is a full-blown sex scandal. Of course, we, we, know, we know all about uh, Donald Trump's sexual exploits, his ins and outs before he got into the White House. But since he's been there, he seems to have been quite a well-behaved uh, gentleman. Uh, Eleanor Herman is the author of a really interesting new book, <clears throat> Sex with Presidents, the ins and outs of love and lust in the White House. Uh, Eleanor, are you a bit disappointed with Donald Trump's lack of ins and outs in the White House? I'm not sure what he gets up to with his wife, but he doesn't seem to be having anyone else in the White House. No, he does not. And the scandals that we know about, the, the Stormy Daniels, the, the adult uh, film star and Karen McDougal, the play, Playboy Playmate of the Year, they were in 2006. Uh, and initially, uh, in his first couple of years in the White House, it leaked like a sieve. So I think we would have heard something if there had been anything going on. I, I don't think there is. He's 73 years old. I think his health isn't the greatest. He's gained an awful lot of weight. And it is the most stressful job in the world, I think, particularly for this White House. Uh, to put it rather crudely, do you think he can still get it up? I, I, I don't know, but I would have my doubts. <laughs> well, you, you, you're tantalizing me now, Eleanor. Why do you have your doubts? Uh, for the reasons I just mentioned, the, the age, the stress, the, the lack of any stories, I, I don't think uh, his relationship with his wife is necessarily a close and romantic one at this point. And I, I, I think he might be more interested in the cheeseburgers that he gets from McDonald's. I thought you were going to say he'd be more interested in his daughter, but that's perhaps a, a subject for another show. <laughs> Eleanor, your book is, is mostly not about Donald Trump. It's about sex with presidents before Donald Trump. And it's a, it's, it's a wonderfully bracing, entertaining, and in some ways, I think, quite profound read. Um, before we talk about sex with presidents, what's with you and sex? You, you've written books about Sex with kings, sex with a queen. Are you sex obsessed, Eleanor? Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, my first book was uh, Sex with Kings, and it was a story of royal mistresses. And I was going to call it something boring like the, the history of royal mistresses. And somebody said to me, that is the worst title. Why don't you just call it Sex with Kings? And at least as an unpublished would-be author, somebody will at least look at your proposal instead of throwing it in the, in the trash can. So I did. And I got a really good book contract that's out in 25 uh, languages around the world. So I would recommend to any up and coming author, put sex in the title of your book and you have a better chance of selling it. Um, so no, I don't think I'm a sex maniac. 
Um, but sex does sell, and I am interested in looking at the, the relationships of powerful people, and sex is a part of that. But I use it as a kind of lens to just look at their lives and the choices that they make. Yeah, and your, your analysis of the sexual energy of presidents, you connect with something you call hubris, hubris syndrome, that the kind of men who become president tend to be pretty unusual. You, you quote a, a White House seamstress, Lillian Parks, who saw a number of, or many uh, American presidents over the, the 20th century between 1909 and 1960, you say, she said, as far as I can see, no average man ever became president. The White House uses people up like soap. Um, so is there something about the fact that the, the kind of man who ends up in the White House isn't average? Is, is that usually connected with their sexual energy, perhaps even obsession? Yes, I believe so. I, I, I mean, the, the way I look at it, anybody would have to be either have a huge ego or be sort of crazy to even think they could be president of the United States. So you already have a very small segment of the population that's going to run for, for office. And I think that the, the drive, the ambition, the, the ego, the, the power that these men want to have, it's associated with, with the sexual urge. Is sex then all about power? There's no romantic element here? Well, in many of the um, cases I examine in my book, it, they are, uh, the relationships are about power. There are a few really beautiful love stories that I talk about, like uh, FDR and the love of his life, Lucy Mercer, who um, they had an affair 1916 to 1918, and they just loved each other so deeply. She was with him the day he had his fatal stroke in 19. 45. So that, that was a love story. Eisenhower and his aide and driver, um, Kay Summersby, as they were fighting the Nazis, that, that was a beautiful and tragic love story. So, so they're, they're all different kinds of, uh, of sex stories in the book, from the very crude, the, the ego and the power, and, and the romantic love. I'm not going to make any jokes about fatal strokes. Um... One of the characters in the book, one of the presidents who I was particularly intrigued with was, was uh, uh, Warren Harding. I never knew he was a, a sex addict, but you say that he had thousands of lovers. So he's up there with professional athletes and Hollywood stars. Yes, it's crazy. And um, there was something about the guy. Now, in his 50s, when he was president, he was older and gray and portly, but there was he still had a handsome face and there was something about him that made women from all parts, all kinds of society, you know, the socialites, the actresses, the teenage girls follow him around like howling cats in heat, begging to have sex with him. And um, he would write 50 and 60 page pornographic letters. We, we have uh, dozens and dozens of them found in one woman's uh, closet after she, she died. Uh, about the ecstasies of sex. And I, I imagine he must have been a, a, a hot handful of man in the sack. Just, just reading these letters, I think, could make a woman get you know, incredibly impassioned. All news is biased in some way. Reporters may add biased language consciously or unconsciously, but the outcome is the same. Bias in the news impacts how we see the world. Ground News is a new app that provides readers with objective data about the underlying political bias 
in all published news stories. It's the first ever news comparison platform. Ground News collects data from over 50,000 news sources and runs real-time media bias tracking. Then the coverage bias rating is visually shown alongside the story. For every story you read, you can compare how reporting differs across sources with different political biases and see if the coverage of Scory skews more to the left or to the right. Ground News represents a larger movement of people who are fed up with traditional, highly politicized news. No one wants to be spoon-fed ideas or subtly influenced. Ground News gives the power to the people so you can make up your own mind. Want to learn more and try it for free? Just head to ground.news forward slash keenon and enter keenon and get seven days free of Ground News Pro. As an exclusive limited time offer, listeners of Keenon will get 25% off Ground News premium membership. So what are you waiting for? Start judging the truth for yourself today. Do you have any sense who, who, who was most sexually skilled? I'm guessing some of the presidents, of, in my memory at least, would have been rather pathetic. Uh, Carter, for example. Um, <laughs> But uh, is there one in particular, uh, Harding, who uh, I, I, I'm assuming JFK was not particularly skilled, was a bit of a narcissist and a bit of a, um, a, a bit selfish. It requires, I mean, to be really good at sex requires an absence of selfishness, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it does. And I think um, Harding, Harding did not have such a huge ego. He sort of got pushed into running for president. It, he kind of won. It was almost like a mistake. And uh, after World War One, people wanted a change. Um, and he was a he was basically a really nice guy who who really loved women. And I think he was probably the best lover. Um, the the worst. So there's two that were really um, awful based on reports from their mistresses. One was JFK. So there was there was the ego and narcissism definitely. He also had a really horrible back. He had something called Addison's disease, which gave him very painful back aches. And then he had also busted up his back uh, in the South Pacific uh, when when the Japanese sunk his PT boat. Um, but also he was just sort of lazy, his, his, uh, his women said. And there's a, a famous quote uh, reportedly said by the actress Angie Dickinson, uh, sex with JFK, hmm, the best 60 seconds in my life. The, the other really pathetic one in bed, according to Stormy Daniels, was um, Donald Trump. She said it was the least impressive sex she had ever had in her life. And that's saying something because, you know, she's been filmed having sex with thousands of, of men. Uh, but she said it was like two, two minutes, missionary position, and whoop, done. So, so Donald Trump uh, is, is about as good as JFK in, in, in bed, you're saying? Yes, apparently so. Not that I know personally. I... Now, Eleanor, there are going to be some people watching this, particularly on Lit Hub. You know, the, the puritanical American types. I'm sure you come across them all the time. <laughs> who are going to be horrified by this kind of discussion, saying, oh, it's disgusting. These, these presidents should be loyal to their wives, like perhaps Barack Obama. 
does Obama, having read your book, it seems as if he was a rather pathetic president. He could have done with a little bit more harding in his life. You know, when you look at him and his wife, uh, Michelle, it, it seems to me to be a, a love story that's lasted many years now. And I think compared to some of the other presidents, uh, Clinton, Trump, uh, I think it's a man of, of dignity who loves his wife. And I, I wouldn't call that pathetic. I think it's something we should all try to emulate, really. Should we not be then living in awe of our, the, the sexual prowess of our presidents? You, you. You write in your book about uh, Mitterrand of France, who was very open in his sexual obsession. He would, uh, he would always disappear after a speech with a young woman. Uh, should Americans be a little bit more open-minded and permissive about their presence? After all, we live in a, in a, in a highly pornographic culture. Uh, we're on the internet now, and uh, one click would take us to all sorts of vulgarity. Uh, why are Americans so uptight about the sexual behavior of their presidents? Well, I think, Andrew, ultimately they are not. And this is what really surprised me in my research. You know, we have a strong puritanical streak, I guess, from those pilgrims who came 400 years ago. It's managed to last in our culture. Um, and yet, when I look at the, the earliest scandals at uh, Alexander Hamilton in the 1790s with a blackmailing prostitute, Thomas Jefferson in the early 1800s having several children with his enslaved woman, Grover Cleveland in the 1880s, it came out in the press, he had raped a woman, impregnated her, put her in an insane asylum. All of these stories came out and ultimately the voters didn't care. They just, they want someone in office who is going to uh, lower their taxes, make sure they have jobs. These are the things they care about. And as Americans, we do tend to squawk like, oh, tis, tis, that's, a, that's disgusting. But then we go and vote for the person whose policies are going to lower our taxes. So I think, yes, it's there, but deep down, not so much. And especially when you look at now with with uh, President Trump, and it's not just love affairs that he's had, because we all know he cheated on three of his wives, but so many allegations of sexual assault, which is something different entirely, and even evangelical Christians don't seem to care. So I don't think anybody really cares at all anymore. Yeah, and obviously sexual assault is a criminal action. It's different from two people choosing to, to have sexual relations. What about Uncle Joe Biden? He doesn't seem to be sexually very active. Does that make him more or less likely to end up in the White House? <laughs> well, in a country like France, where they want their leaders to be virile and strong, and it's a sign of, of drive and health and energy, he, he probably wouldn't fare so well. But it, you know, in this country, there again, uh, it seems as if he has a very happy, long marriage with his wife. And I think after all of the scandals of the uh, the Trump White House, sexual uh, and otherwise, that it might we might be in for a refreshing change with Joe Biden. One of the things I liked about your book were the anecdotes about the, the ins and outs, literally, in the White House. It seems to be a, a house designed for sexual shenanigans. <laughs> Was there some thought to that when 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 they originally built the White House? I don't think they designed it with sexual shenanigans in mind, but 
Um, humankind being what it is, they do find ways to have sexual shenanigans pretty much anywhere. Speaking of which, my favorite anecdote from the book, you may recall, Andrew, is when uh, Warren Harding had a young woman in a closet in the Oval Office. He was having sex with her and his wife, Florence, who was um, several years older and intensely jealous and following him around to make sure he wasn't with a woman. She heard that he had uh, a woman in there and she's banging on the door, Warren, I'm coming in. And, and then they, they had to kind of guide her around to another entrance, during which time his Secret Service agent popped his head in the door and said, your wife's on the way, you gotta, you know. So anyway, they, they took the young woman out, got her into a car, he pulled up his pants. And when the first lady came in, uh, he was sitting at his desk, uh, quietly perusing papers. So, and there's another story about uh, LBJ. Johnson was in there. Lady Bird walked in uh, and he was there having sex on uh, a couch in the Oval Office. And Lady Bird just sort of excused herself and walked out. And LBJ was furious. So he had a buzzer system installed when the Secret Service saw Lady Bird coming around the corner. They had to buzz him to give him time to pull his pants up. Not a lot of stories in your book about Reagan. A bit disappointing with him. I guess he was a Hollywood actor, so he had to simulate sex. <laughs> I don't know. You know, as a Hollywood actor, I'm sure he played the field, but I, I never heard of certainly anything once he was in the White House. And um, is Clinton really the last truly uh, sexual president? Someone who, 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 he may not be in Warren Harding's league. It's hard to be in that league, right. but, but certainly someone who... Who, who was that kind of narcissistic, highly sexualized personality? Yes, I would say so. And what is it about Clinton? Was he just in that LBJ, JFK, Harding mold of just being obsessed with taking risks? Yes. Um, so this hubris syndrome that you mentioned earlier, it's, it's a new psychological uh, condition. Well, it's not, the condition isn't new, but the, the psychiatrist just, uh, came out with um, with what it was a few years ago, and they they say that that personality is so narcissistic, is um, loves taking risks, and there are examples where Clinton asked women to have sex in the room right next to where Hillary was at a party. I mean, just just crazy stuff that he did. Uh, I think he always was narcissistic. The danger is when you have a narcissist who suddenly is in a position to wield great power, that's when hubris syndrome kicks in. It only happens when you get great power. It's not something you're born with, like, like narcissism. In our age of correction culture, of political correctness, uh, which seems to be becoming ever more ubiquitous, do you think we'll ever get another, another Clinton, another, um, another LBJ, certainly another Harding who were sexually active inside the White House as opposed to Trump who, who, did it, who, who, who had all his sexual uh, experience before becoming president? I believe we will. I think that the, the office attracts um, these kinds of men. I th what I would like to see change is at this point, just don't lie about it. Don't get up there and lie to the American people and say, I did not have sex with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. You know, just lie in their face. 
And don't pay them off $130,000 right before an election, thereby violating campaign laws like Trump did. You know, you should either not address it or if it comes up in a way where you have to, just apologize. I'm very sorry. I've hurt my wife. I did this thing. Because you know what? No one cares about your sex life, not even if you're a president. Yeah. Uh, and what about the issue of a, a female president, uh, Eleanor? You, you wrote a book, Sex with Kings, plural. And then another book, Sex with the Queen, so a singular queen. Is it conceivable that we would have a, a, a female harding, so to speak, in the White House? It's, I think it's possible, but I really think it's unlikely. When you look at um, the, the famous female world leaders, Margaret Thatcher, Angela Merkel, Golda Meir, Indira Gandhi, I mean, there's not, there's not a whisper of a rumor for any of those women. And one thing I, I did here in my research is that um, men generally run for uh, public office because they wanna be somebody. It's an ego-driven reason. Whereas women run for public office because they wanna help somebody. It's just, it's, it's a different take on it, you see. Is that, a, is that an argument for or against a female president, Eleanor? I would say for. Finally, uh, Eleanor, I have to tell a joke uh, because your book is, is, is very humorous, but also interesting. Uh, I'm quoting here. You said, when, when John Adams considered running for president in 1796, his wife, Abigail, warned, you know what is before you? The whips, the scorpions, the thorns without roses, the dangers, anxieties, the weight of empire. And I have to add, well, what was the downside of becoming president? Yes, and Adams knew it, but there again, he, he had a bit of an ego himself, even though he, was, he never strayed from Abigail, I think she would have killed him. The two of them would sit back and, uh, and, and make uh, comments on the, the sexual depravity of everyone else that they knew, but uh, yeah. So, so you never uncovered any uh, S&M parlors, uh, dungeons in the White House? I, I didn't. I, that's not to say that there may not have been some that I just am not privy to. Well, and I want to thank you for such a, an entertaining and interesting conversation. You're stuck in Washington, D.C. during the, the COVID crisis, when we're all supposed to stay inside, which would probably help your book with its focus on sex. Uh, in addition to your excellent book, uh, Sex with Presidents, what else should people be reading in these strange times? A friend of mine gave me um, a very um, interesting book that just sort of blows me away with the questions it makes me ask myself, and it's called White Fragility. Have you heard of it? Who hasn't heard of White Fragility? The book White Fragility. Yes. Uh, oh, the, it's, it's, it's not the same. Is that different from Black Fragility? Uh, nope. It's, it's, uh, it's White Fragility. Um, yeah. What is interesting about that book? Who wrote it? Oh, you know what? I don't even have it here. Um, but uh, it, it just shows us how uh, when you grow up white, as, as I have, you just take for granted um, that, you know, this is how things are. You're in the majority. Everywhere you go, it's almost always white people. And it just starts me, it, it started me to ask myself, being born with the same personality that I have, if I had been, if I had grown up with black skin, how different would my life be? How different would my outlook and experiences be? So it's, it's a great book to get white people to just start asking some questions 
uh, and, and have a better understanding of how Black Americans feel. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.